Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. Amen. So good morning, everyone. I am so thankful that you have decided to be a part of our worship service this morning and for tuning in. Um, I am going to kind of go back in time and I want to, I've kind of updated a sermon that I wrote a couple years ago and I I think it fits our time as we're preparing for the Easter season a little bit. Um, I want us to really focus on the idea of being forgiven of our sins because that is that is the pinnacle belief in Christianity. It's not that uh, we should be afraid of hell. It's that we should rejoice because we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So uh, there's a conservative evangelical, evangelical Christian author named Je- uh, sorry David Jeremiah. And in his daily devotional called Turning Point, he points out that sin always has unintended consequences. Do you know this in your life? I, I know that sometimes we expect sin to have bad, you know, repercussions, but sometimes we don't plan for the unintended consequences of sin. There was a man from Seattle, for example, who tried to steal gasoline from a motorhome. He actually got to the point where he attached a siphon hose. If you've ever seen people steal gas, usually you take a hose and you run it down inside the gas tank and then you suck out fuel. And once you begin, like once you get that gasoline into your mouth, you spit it out, but then the fuel will continue to run out of the tank and then you can put it into uh, smaller gas cans. Well, he was attaching that siphon hose to the RV and he started to really work on that thing, but police found him shortly after, writhing in agony in the middle of the street. It seems that he attached the hose not to the gasoline tank, but to the motorhome's sewage tank. The owner of the RV declined to press charges. He figured that that guy had punishment enough. You've heard of people being caught red-handed, right? The phrase actually being caught red-handed started as the phrase caught red hand. Uh, And it came to us from Scotland around the 15th century. It's a phrase that literally meant that somebody was caught in the middle of a crime, uh, usually, and it was two major things uh, that you would be caught for, uh, and called caught red hand. Either you were caught murdering someone, killing somebody, so you would literally be caught red hand with blood, or you were caught poaching, where you had killed an animal and you still had the blood on your hands. The first documented documented instance of the phrase red hand comes from the Scottish Acts of Parliament of James I, and it was written in 1432. So this is a phrase that's been around for a while. The guy in the story was not actually literally caught red-handed. I would definitely not like to smell his breath, though. Adam and Eve were caught naked in the Garden of Eden. Now, this may be worse than being caught red-handed, Uh, But in Genesis 3.10, we get to hear the story of how they were caught by God in the midst of sin. Sometimes we have an encounter with God and we have no idea what to do, but sometimes we just, we hide. We feel unworthy and sometimes we're filled with shame and guilt. So I want to read this to you. This comes from Genesis chapter 3 and it's something that you're going to be familiar with. We've read it repeatedly in church, but it's important for us to know our history. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So I remember a time when I was a young boy and it's not that hard because I am so young. Uh, but my dad used to take us to uh, the Tulsa Gun and Knife show. Like, So I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of that, but uh, here in Tulsa, we have a lot of uh, gun shows. And every time we got to go to these gun and knife shows, my dad would always give each one of us boys, and it was me and my three brothers, he would give each one of us a pocket knife to keep in our pocket. And I remember always being so excited to be to be able to carry a pocket knife around, right? Um, so Levi recently got his very first pocket knife. He got that from his Papa Scott also. And uh, I remember him being so excited to carry it and so excited to have it. Um, but Levi actually was smart and got the chip, so he actually can carry it. So he is a certified Cub Scout pocket knife carrying young man. And I, um, when I was a young boy, I was, was not. So I didn't really understand how to be responsible with knives other than my dad saying, guys, don't take this out of your pocket. This is not a toy. It's a tool. He told each of us this as we got our new cool shiny blades that we could carry around. And I remember the one that he gave me to this very day. It was one of those kind of wooden handled pocket knives and on each end of it, it was brass. The one thing I didn't know at the time was that this particular pocket knife, when you fold it open, it actually stuck open. It had a lock. It had a locking blade. And I didn't know that at the time. We had a great day that, or at that, that, that time when we were walking around seeing all the specialty guns and knives. Um, and a lot of times they were actually more works of art than they were functional uh, weapons of war or tools for hunting. Uh, some of these guns were hundreds of years old and, and perfectly etched and, and the, you know, the, the stocks were, um, you know, whittled down and carved. And it was just, there's always something special and unique at some of these gun and knife shows. We saw Bowie knives and pocket knives, war memorabilia from as far back as the 1700s, all the way to as recent as Desert Storm. When we eventually got back home, my father went to go take a nap and he apparently forgot to take our pocket knives back. So my brothers and I had a whole great day of us taking our pocket knives out and whittling sticks and trying to throw our pocket knives and stick them in the trees and throw our pocket knives and try to stick them in the dirt. And we had seven acres of land that we could go and run and play and cut and carve and make things out of with these pocket knives. Until we heard, boys! And my dad was calling us. He'd woken up from his nap and he was calling us to come to the house because he had remembered that he forgot to take our pocket knives away from us. 
So frantically, my brothers and I, we all tried to put our pocket knives away. My brothers all got their knives put together. You know, the blades just kind of folded in. They threw them in their pockets, kind of cleaned off the blades a little bit from any dust or dirt or tree sap. Uh, but I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to fold up my pocket knife. So I pressed the blade against trees. I pressed it against my knee. I tried to fold it, and I ended up cutting up my fingers. Everything I did, there was nothing that got that blade to close. It was locked open and I couldn't figure it out. I struggled and I pushed and I pried and the blade wouldn't budge. And eventually my fingers were sliced over and over with the blade of that sharp pocket knife. As I walked towards the house, my hands were bloodied, the open bladed pocket knife in one hand. I was embarrassed, I was hurt, and I was ashamed that I had literally been caught red-handed. As my dad saw the knife opened in my bloodied palm, he was angry and he grabbed the knife from my hand and he pushed the little switch on the back and folded the knife easily, put it away. I remember my mom coming to grab my hands and run my hands under stinging cold water and pulling out Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid, fixing the cuts in my fingers. All the while, my dad yelling at me for being irresponsible with this tool. It wasn't a toy, it was a tool. Now, I don't remember the punishment that I got for that disobedience to my dad's request, but I do know that there was a punishment. There was always a punishment. And I also remember that it was from that point on, I never really got to hold a pocket knife again until I became an adult and bought my own. Scripture goes on for us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said this, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. There were repercussions for my disobedience, just as Adam and Eve suffered from the repercussions of their disobedience to God. 
I remember the, f the feeling of shame when I literally was broken and had to walk to my dad and presented him with my bloody sin. Adam and Eve, now knowing that they were naked, had to answer their Heavenly Father's call to come out after they initially hid from him in their naked shame. But their guilt, their shame, their hiding could never hide their sin from God. Adam's words, I was afraid to come to you because I was naked, gave away his sin. Who told you that you were naked? God asked. Did you eat from the tree in the garden from which I told you not to eat? And so God's punishment was that they had to leave the garden forever. Everything they had been given, the, they had food enough to eat, they had water, they had uh, peace, they had comfort, they had God's, you know, his very presence with them. Everything they had was because of God in the Garden of Eden. And now they had to go out into a world that was going to be hard for them, that they had to tame and they had to subdue. Their sin against God caused an eternal separation that we still deal with today. Our human nature, that sinful part of us that's built into our very being, keeps us separated from fully being able to encounter and understand and experience God fully. We're not able to come to God on our own without the grace of God as we experience through the gift of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve experienced the first recorded moment of shame and guilt in all of human history. They were caught in sin, they were caught red-handed, and they knew that they had done wrong, and they hid. Friends, I, I still believe that this is our story. When we get caught red-handed, when we feel like we have done too much or we have become people that God would not be proud of, we step away from the church. We say, I have to hide from God. I have to run away from God. I don't want him to see me as a mess. I have friends and neighbors right across the street who've told me they're not going to go to church again until they feel like they can get their lives together. Friends, that's not what God requires of us. Even in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin, even when they were dealing with the punishment they had to receive as, as a way to keep them from bringing sin into kind of this immortal realm, God made a way for Adam and Eve, right? He didn't say, all right, now I have to start all over. I have to wipe the world clean. I have to kill you, Adam and Eve, because you've disobeyed me. Instead of doing that, God provides for them by making clothes out of animal skin. And he says, you're, you're going to feel the wrath. You're going to feel the punishment of this, but you'll be alive. And if I'm here, I'm, God said, I'm not going anywhere. So God's presence is still in this, you know, Garden of Eden, this space that God and man got to be, you know, together. It's just that God had to separate us so that we weren't clouding the world with our sin or we weren't, weren't you know, it, you know, I don't understand like how to say this well, uh, but we weren't bringing sin into this kind of immortal realm by eating the tree, the fruit from the tree of life. Friends, the story of Adam and Eve is still our story. We still get caught in sin. We still make a mess of things. And then we still think the appropriate answer is to run and hide. Friends, God created us to be a part of a church that welcomes the sinful. Church is a place where sinners need to be more than anywhere else in the world. 
So if today you're sitting here and you're watching this sermon and you're thinking, gosh, I've messed up. I, I'm glad I can sit here at my living room and watch rather than go to church. Friends, that's, I'm sorry, but we have done a very deep disservice to you because church is where you belong. Church is where you and I go together to not just experience the risen Christ, but also to love our broken neighbor because our broken neighbor is going to love us. Mark 2, 13 through 17 says this. Then Jesus went again to walk along the lake. Again, a crowd came to him and he taught them. Strolling along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, at his work collecting taxes. Jesus says, come along with me. And he came. Later, Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had, been, had become followers. The religion scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and he lit into his disciples. What kind of example is this? Acting cozy with the riffraff. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day and he said, I came to help those that need me the most. I'm supposed to be here for the broken and the sinners and the downtrodden and the segregated and the discriminated against and the hurt. Mm. Someone might have broken her phone. Uh, we forget sometimes that because Jesus came for the sinners, an encounter with him no longer meant that people had to live in their shame and in their guilt. An encounter with Jesus doesn't remove all the worldly repercussions of sin, but sin no longer has unrelenting hold on each of us. An encounter with Jesus Christ today means that even the vilest of sins can and will be forgiven as long as we repent of them. Friends, the season of Advent, or sorry, not Advent, the season of Lent, this time, this 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter is a time for us to recognize the repentance that each of us needs. Every one of us has been caught red-handed or we will be caught red-handed of the sin that we commit in our lives. So friends, I'm inviting each of you during this Lenten season to spend time in repentance, spend time acknowledging that we are not perfect, spend time getting to know Jesus and experiencing the love and the forgiveness that he brings. Now, I know we're not able to meet together as a church this week, but next week when we meet together, I invite you, if you're willing, if you've been immunized, if you've had COVID, if you want to get out and be a part of a community, then come and be a part of this community who loves you and welcomes you exactly the way you are. During the season of Lent, we have an opportunity to evaluate our own sinfulness and during this time, work towards repentance and change. We've all been caught red-handed and each one of us is guilty of committing sin. And so my prayer for you and for I, for each of us during this Lenten season, is that as we remember once again the journey that Jesus took to the cross for us, that we reject sin and commit fully to follow Jesus wherever he would lead us. Friends, get in scripture. Read those devotionals that you have. Let us fully follow Jesus 
into a time of repentance so that each of us may be changed people on the other side of Lent. Friends, I look forward to what Easter brings. I look forward again to the celebration of our forgiveness. But in the meantime, let's work to better ourselves and be the people that God has called us to be in a community that is crying out for true disciples of Jesus to reach into their lives and tell them who Jesus is. Friends, my prayer for you this week and always is that you've encountered Jesus this week, that you've heard a good word, and it helps to bring you fully into relationship with a God who loves you and forgives you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.